Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Uh, well, here we go. Winter's back. You know, we, we, we got just a, a, a very small reprieve this week. You know, we they wanted to tempt us with a temperature over zero. But of course, you know, it's decided to put the chill back on. So the real question is, is what are you doing about real estate right now? Are you sitting listening to me? I hope so. Uh, make sure you have something warm to drink and kick back and relax. It's going to be an interesting hour. I've got uh, two guests joining me this hour. We've got Amy Ferris. She's a realtor um, and she's from the uh, Simcoe Real Estate Board area. And uh, we're going to be talking about a little bit about the olden days. Uh, we're also going to be talking about um, some of the process and how the outer boards are uh, actually kind of upping the game and what they're doing to evolve and make the information travel a little bit easier for everybody. And uh, Mark Wiseletter, he's a real estate lawyer. He's going to be joining me later. Some great conversation Mark and I are going to have. We're going to be talking about uh, cannabis, some of the new rules and regulations. We're going to talk about rent control. That's right. For those of you that want to be real estate investors, you know, when government slammed rent control through uh, just before they... Uh, just before they dispersed and at this point um, rent control well I'll let Mark talk about it and uh, where we stand today with it and of course uh, there's lots going on uh, a quick reminder we've got our new simple seminar coming up on Wednesday February the 27th uh, so far this year and, and beginning near the end of last year great response um, you know it's a great evening uh, seven o'clock uh, here at our head office at The Simple Investor. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com to find out more to register. But uh, I got to tell you, I really appreciate everybody's feedback. It seems like um, it's worthwhile. We're, we're giving as much information about being a landlord, some of the new rules and regulations, uh, what's going on with the LTB. Of course, this is, well, I, I would say, one of the punching bags that should be uh, utilized over the next little while. We need to be able to get get control of what's going on for landlords. I know tenants, um, you know, I, I respect and always will respect tenants. Uh, we've got uh, thousands of them. But more importantly, um, it seems like things are becoming a little more one-sided. And I think we need to right the ship. So we're hoping to be able to uh, maybe get a few people on to respond to what's going on with the LTB over the next little while. I know Mark can uh, weigh in on it a little bit later on in the hour. But more importantly... One of the things that we've got to do is just keep you aware of what's going on, new rules and regulations and changes. We're going to talk about that at the Simple Seminar. Of course, we're going to talk about the release that we're just finishing up right now. Uh, investment properties at $129,000, uh, fully tenanted, rent guaranteed, uh, month to month, and completely hands off. Best way to become a landlord easy just be a real estate investor not be the active landlord and so we've got that process in place don't forget to check it out so you know a little bit more but let's uh let's run down a few things what's going on here in the marketplace um you know it's funny because whenever whenever you kind of roll through the month of january everybody says it's uh it's one of the best times to be a buyer you know, not so much a seller, but a buyer. When everybody gets that credit card bill uh, at the uh, end of December, beginning of January, you know, people got a little bit crazy with uh, the holiday. They said holiday debt lowers the competition. Uh, so what they mean by that is that not nearly many people are being aggressive going out to buy. Some people actually have to sell, unfortunately, because they've got too much debt. They realize turn New Year's, they look at it and say, listen, you know what? Maybe we need to downsize. 
We've got to be able to control some of what's going on. And of course, uh, you know, with the last week in place, you know, I don't know what everybody was thinking about with that, uh, you know, the minus 20s or something. But I don't think too many people were out going out to kick tires. So you don't have as many active buyers into the marketplace. The only people that are actually there are those, the people that are exceptionally serious that have to buy. And so the other ones, they kind of disappear. So as a seller right now, your showings may drop, but your showings are probably a, are, are a little bit more genuine. They probably are more solid. So if you're thinking of selling, if somebody's showing up at your house at minus 20, you know they're an active buyer. They're serious about this. And so just uh, some piece of advice. So, you know, hot coffee, you know, uh, warm cookies, you know what? You never know. You might be able to get a buyer uh, in your property and sell in January. But of course... This is a lot of time when uh, we start watching the lead up. This is where everybody is having a chat saying, hey, listen, it's time for us to get ready for the spring market. So what are you going to do to get your house ready to sell in the spring? Of course, a couple tips always that we want to extend to you is declutter, 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 declutter. If you have to go rent a unit, do it. Uh, one of the things that people need to do is see the full size of your property without all the interruption of your stuff. So you know what? Declutter is one of the important things. Paint is probably the best investment I can tell you to do. You know what? If you have the ability of going through with a quick coat of paint, you know, nice and fresh, kind of earth tones, neutral colors, don't get too aggressive. Uh, you know, this is these are one of the best things as far as dollar for dollar return. If you do you know, if it costs you, you know, a couple thousand dollars to get a paint job, believe it or not, that could change your price by ten to $20,000 just from the impression alone. We've seen it happen over the years. It is important, nice and fresh and clean. We've got a whole bunch of showings. I know that you may like cooking fish and things like that. Uh, but again, not everybody wants to smell that when they go through the house. So try to keep the odors down to a minimum where possible. And uh, you know what? It, again, keep everything fresh. Keep the drive way well shoveled if there's a lot of snow the walkway make it easy for them to get there and uh, keep it as neat and bright as possible you know one of the th other things that uh, a quick uh, piece of advice if you've got lights that have three light bulbs make sure all three are lit because a lot of people you know they kind of say oh no it's not a big deal it is a big deal you have normally one chance to make a first impression when a buyer is walking through your home make sure you take advantage of it because they're there for a reason they saw your house on the mls their agent thought it was something for them to see this is the time to impress the buyer this is how you're going to get your house sold i know people talk about the market and we were talking about the market all year about how it started to slow down a little you know houses were staying on the market a little bit more but most importantly for yourself make sure you set yourself up for the best showing possible okay i know not everybody likes people parading through their house but this could mean thousands of dollars also more importantly it could mean a lot less time on the market uh, and of course as i said everything around toronto the gta everybody's talking about the numbers for 2018 and the reduction from 2017 all sorts of people want to post blame you know what folks the one thing I want to let everybody know is that we probably had the best landing we possibly could. We didn't have a major shakeup or collapse. And I think that we're going to see, you know, the market, I'm not going to say it's going to return to normal. Normally in a real estate market normally sits around a five, six, seven percent increase annually. You know, right now, uh, a lot of the powers to be are saying maybe one and a half, two percent maximum increase this year in value, not necessarily transactions, but value. And um, quite frankly, you know, uh, when we take a look at numbers, 
that might be just kind of the the you know the the, the momentum changing and i think we're going to see a few years this way i don't think anybody that's coming in should be thinking speculation uh if you're going to jump into the market you know, make sure that you, you've got either enough cash, if you're going to be doing an investment property, enough cash to carry it. Uh, more importantly, if you're buying it for a primary residence, you know, think a little bit more long-term. This is where people have benefited over the years. But if you're going to buy something, you know, the idea of the quick flip, um, it's going to be a little bit more difficult, keeping in mind all your closing costs, your, your real estate fees. These are the kind of things that before you do something, do me a favor, grab a piece of paper, grab a calculator, write it down, figure it out. And then whatever you do, do not put yourself in a position where you say, yes, but the market's going to go up 10%. I always tell people, the one thing you should do is if you're going to talk about increase in value, go 2%, use an inflationary number. It's going to make your life a lot simpler. And of course, that's one of the things that we want to do here at Simply Real Estate. They were talking about uh, Toronto real estate. How does it stack up about, against other investments? Things like stocks and things like REITs and of course, um, precious metals. Right now, you know what? It seems like real estate in Toronto has outshone the last 10 years, hands down. Uh, it's been a, the winner of, of all markets and everything else, but it doesn't mean that it's going to stay that way. So again, diversify is not a bad thing. And if you take a look at the market itself, remember, uh, it will start to probably turn around, go up a little, but don't count on, you know, major, major increases this year. Um, so now I'm going to uh, introduce a realtor, um, uh, because one of the reasons why I wanted to bring on Amy Ferris is because she works in the outer markets and I know we've got a lot of listeners in the outer markets and more importantly, um, you know, I just want to just have a genuine conversation. So joining me now is Amy Ferris and she is a licensed realtor and um, Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Todd. You've got quite the heritage in real estate and I thought we'd kind of start off there. And um, I, if, if I'm not mistaken, your grandfather, your mother, yourself, uh, your husband—I uh, mean, all you know—with a lot of uh, a lot of uh, history in real estate. Yeah, we do for sure. So I'm a third-generation realtor, um, and combined total between my mother, my grandfather, my husband, and I is over 111 years of experience in real estate. So, though I've only been licensed for seven years, I remember back in the day uh, just going into my grandfather's office and helping him sort through MLS catalogs and books and stuff. So I, my my history goes quite a ways back. And you're also the past president of the Simcoe and uh, District Real Estate Board, aren't you? Yes, I am. And we hear Simcoe and District, a lot of people automatically assume we're from the Barry area. Um, we're actually right along the lakeshore of Lake Erie, and Port Dover is mostly where people will recognize the area that uh, I sell real estate in. We're taking a look, obviously, at, uh, at what's happening in the in the marketplace. And, you know, you've seen so many changes, even in the last, let's say, you know, five to 10 years. It's amazing. And the outer markets are really where a lot of people are facing a lot of changes. Um, are, are you finding that, uh, you know, and, and we'll, 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 we're going to go backwards in a minute, but is this year off to a good start? So far, so good, actually. We've had a good couple years recently in our market. We've seen multiple offers come to our area, which we never thought we would see. And I mean, we used to see one, maybe two offers on a property. Now we're seeing seven, 10. Um, we're seeing property sells for well over asking price, which we never thought we would see in this area. And it's hard to predict how each year is going to start out. But uh, for example, in our area, um, we have sold in the last month three beachfront cottages, which is really odd for the winter because most people are buying cottages in the summer. So it's really started out well in the last month. So I'm excited to see what 2019 has in store. 
Listen, Amy, we're going to go do a quick break. When we come back, though, I, I want to delve a little bit deeper and just talk a little bit of history of real estate and what the outer markets have, have emerged and done. So, um, folks, stay with us. I'm going to be right back with realtor Amy Ferris. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now is Amy Ferris. She is a realtor that is located out uh, close, kind of the shores of Lake Erie. And and Amy, just before the break, you and I were talking that uh, you feel that 2019 is going to be a pretty promising year for, you know, let's call it cottage country and some of the outer markets. Well, I think if we look at what's happened in the last couple of years, I, I don't expect that to change much based on the activity that we're having. We're still seeing in our market uh, a shortage of inventory. We're still seeing high demand. Inventory has increased. That's typical for this time of the year. But um, overall, it's it's difficult for buyers to find a home today because they usually end up competing. And if they've got a home to sell, it makes it really difficult to to make that next move. You and I were talking a little bit earlier. Um, you know, quite 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 the history. Third generation realtor. And when when we take a look at um, some of the evolution in the outer markets, because you know a lot of times our listeners and and this isn't really to their fault, but you know they think that the world revolves around the GTA. And yet, real estate, of course, has been practiced at the same time throughout you know history in the outer markets. But the outer markets did not have the same access to all the boards, let's say that, you know, let's, let's say a local Toronto agent does, and, and they're all individual boards. And so, you know, back in the day, you know, I remember when I first started, we used to get these huge books and binders that would show listings and you virtually had to call every single office to say, is this property still available? Um, do you want to, do you want to kind of shed some light on some of the historic, uh, you know, procedures? Back in, in that time, obviously I wasn't selling real estate then, but my, as my grandfather was, I would help him put together his MLS binders. And what would happen is once a week, they would receive a package from the real estate board, whatever real estate board they happen to belong to, and it would have all of the listings of the local realtors in that board. So just in my market, for example, we have about 125 or 130 realtors in the Simcoe District Real Estate Board. So they would all send their listings in. These little sheets were created and typed on a typewriter. Uh, a photo was photocopied onto the piece of paper, and they were sent down to the offices, and then the offices would photocopy them for their agents and distribute them. And you'd have to cut them up and sort them out and put them in the binder, usually sorted by town and by street. And then you would find a property that your client might want to see, but you don't know what's happened to it in the last week. So like you said, you'd have to phone the office and find out what's going on with that property. Downside of this, many times before you even got those listings, those properties were sold because the listing agent had the information, found a buyer, and sold it. You didn't have access to the information like you do today. And it's amazing because really the timing, uh, you know, it, it, it's instantaneous. I mean, I think it's basically to, by the time, you know, a brokerage has a listing, they put it through the system by the time it's uploaded. I mean, really, I, I think it's minutes or not even, in, you know, two hours that every all the information's up to everybody. And of course, uh, based on the the way the system is built today, you know, you your your system will flag if you put a certain parameter in. If there's a new listing, you get it sent to you immediately. That's like, hey, here here you go. Here's a brand new listing that just came up. And looking back at these sheets, you know, I can remember you know, uh, when I was practicing back then was the fact that, you know, it literally was, you sat on the phone to say, and, and the first question is, is this property still available? That's right. And and you don't, ha you're right. You don't have to do that today because the minute something happens, you as the realtor find out right away. The good news is that the time that it gets to the public has also changed as well. Uh, if I go back maybe five years ago, 
we were looking at probably a 24 to 48 hour turnaround from the time the property was listed on the local MLS system to the time it reached the consumer portal, which is Realtor.ca, the number one real estate website in Canada. So by the time consumers found it on Realtor.ca, it was already 24 to 48 hours old. Consumer could see it, it could already be sold. So today in in the new system that we're using, uh, our turnaround time for the system that I belong to uh, is less than 90 minutes from the time it gets listed to the time it hits the consumer portal. So consumers are also getting the information even faster. And if they're working with a realtor, like you said, we set them up for automatic notification, they would actually get the information at the same time that I, the realtor, get the information. So we don't even have to wait that 90 minutes. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, um, Amy, of course, some of the things that have evolved in the outer markets, and, and I'm not sure all our listeners understand that, you know, the, just the accessibility of information was still lagging in the outer markets. Of course, was Ortis, uh, the Ontario Regional Technology and Information System. And as a realtor, has this benefited you? Absolutely. Uh, it's been a huge benefit to anybody in any market, really. It doesn't necessarily have to be the outer markets. So, in my market, I border three other boards. So I have Tilsonburg, Brantford, and Hamilton around me. Then I have the lake, thank God, or I'd have a fourth board. <laughs> but prior to these collective groups like Ortis or the Ontario Collective or the other ones across the province, I would either have to belong to another board. So I pay membership in two, three, four boards. I'd have to pay for subscriber access. Or my clients would find the listing, and then I would have to call the agent. And because of Realtor.ca, where all listings are posted across Canada, our clients were finding that listing and saying to us, why didn't you tell me about 123 Main Street? And I would say, well, you know what? Because it's not on my local MLS system. So I didn't even know it was available. The consumer expects realtors to have all of the information. Even today, even though we have these collective groups that are working together, we still don't have all access to all information across Ontario. But we've gone from having access to one association and having to pay to have access to others to now having access to data. Oris is 10 associations, and then there's another group called The Collective. They're 12, and those two are coming together as per a press release they put out last week. That's going to give me, as a realtor, access to 22 associations, so data and listings to 22 associations across the province. Now, does this, does this also give you access to TREB, or TREB is not on that group? The Toronto Real Estate Board is not a member of the two groups that have decided to come together, but they are part of another collective as they have other boards that also share in their MLS system. They do have access to information, you know, outside of TREB membership, but it is still, you know, obviously within the GTA. It's not something that's out of the question. Obviously, these groups are wanting to expand the data and make it more accessible for the realtors and for the consumers. And I think it's one step at a time. So you start with the ones that already had this in place, put them together, and then maybe take the next steps and see if somebody else is willing to come on or who the next group may be. There are more than just these two groups across the province. I believe there's six that I know of with the same idea as in terms of joining data together or merging data into one system. Um, Listen, Amy, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. If our listeners would like to reach you, what is the best way to reach you? You can check out our website at eriesedge.com. That's probably the best way to get any of us in our area. We'd be happy to uh, chat with you about the market or show you a little bit about Norfolk County, where we're from. Well, it's been a real pleasure and look forward to having you on in the, a little later in the spring and, and catching up with you. So thank you so much for joining us today. Great. Thanks, Todd. So that was Amy Ferris. And folks, when we come back, I've got Mark Wiseletter joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this.
And welcome back. So my guest in the studio now is Mr. Mark Wiseletter. And you will have heard Mark here on our show, but he's been uh, he's been a contributor to a lot of shows, uh, especially in the last little while. Uh, Mark is a partner at the law firm realestatelawyers.ca, LLP. Uh, and of course, um, always a, a welcome guest here. And um, Happy New Year, Mark. Thank you, Todd. Same to you. Yeah, great to have you back on the show. And uh, you and I have a lot to talk about today, and it's always always a pleasure to have you uh, have you on and kind of weigh in on things, of course, for us. Um, may as well just you know jump right into it. Uh, let's talk about you know last year, probably one of the hottest topics was cannabis. And I know that uh, right now you've uh, you've seen some people even approach you to say, hey, hey, Mark, how do we deal with tenants that are, you know, having cannabis? Um, do you want to do you want to open that one up? Sure. Thank you. First of all, landlords can put clauses into lease to forbid smoking and growing cannabis that is allowed in Ontario, even with the new uh, government lease. You can add clauses that prohibit smoking or growing cannabis plants just like the condominiums are doing right uh then the issue becomes whether you have it in your lease or not can you evict the tenant who is smoking cannabis or growing cannabis plants and really it comes down to can you prove that the tenant is bothering other tenants with their smoking and the odors generated or are they damaging the property because of the abuse of the electrical system to grow the cannabis or the moisture generated by the plants, is it uh, causing damage mold to the building? So if you can prove either of those things, then you can hope to get an eviction. You know, you just you used an expression there, hope. <laughs> you and I are going to delve into, obviously, the LTB, all sorts of things about being a landlord. But one of the things, of course, is the idea that people have medical marijuana and they do require it for their health. You know, in fact, um, you know, there's a lot of studies that I think are going to come. I, I think they're going to come fast and furious, but they're, they're actually proving that, you know, cannabis actually is one way for people to get off op opioids. And so this is, you know, a big health concern, obviously. And so if, if somebody has medical marijuana at this time, does that supersede the idea that somebody could be kicked out? Well, I think landlords and tenants have to work together. And just because you have a license for medical cannabis doesn't mean that you can start wrecking somebody's property or bothering all the other tenants. But already we're learning of solutions for that. So example, this whole area of vaping cannabis. Right. When you vape cannabis, and it's really today only available for medical cannabis users, you can get the benefit of cannabis, but without generating all that smoke or odors. Right. And in addition, people can now buy these cannabis grow tents, which are just like two feet by two feet by about five feet high, maybe four to five hundred dollars, but you can actually grow the cannabis inside the tent without damaging the electrical or causing moisture to escape on the wall. So you see, there are already solutions and there's going to be more. People just have to learn to work together so that you don't have to go to the LTB uh, to try to solve the problem for you. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I think that this was, this has been a lot of people's fear, um, you know, once, once it legalized, of course, before being illegal, um, you were able to, 
you know, you could evict or you could get the police involved. In fact, I know quite a few landlords that used to turn around and actually call the police on their tenants saying that they're doing something illegal. And if you could eventually get the police to show up, technically they could, you know, give them a citation, a warning, eventually a fine and have them charged. Um, you know, that's obviously not great for the relationship between the tenant, <laughs> tenant and the landlord. Um, but ultimately in the end, you know, there, there's a lot of rulings that I believe. Now, let's talk about then the Condominium Act and the fact that condominiums, you know, they set up their rules and regulations and bylaws. Can a condominium turn around and say you are not permitted to use cannabis in the building? It's a good point. If you're a condominium director, you have an obligation to do what's right for the unit owners. If I'm a unit owner in a condominium, I don't want to walk down my hallway and have this terrible cannibal smell coming where my children can uh, smell it, or worse, if I'm in a unit and the cannabis uh, is coming there. And as well, we're sharing common walls. And so I don't want somebody growing cannabis that could cause problems to my wall that eventually the building's going to have to pay. So a corporation has the right to pass rules to protect the owners. And that's what they've done for the most part. The directors have said, we're not going to allow cannabis smoking or growing. And they've gone even further to try to ban cigarette smoking in the entire building. However, they sort of sometimes say, if you've been smoking cigarettes up to now, we'll grandfather you until you sell, and then you can't smoke cigarettes at all. And the directors can pass this rule without any input. Now, the owners then have the right to challenge a rule. I've never seen them challenge it. And when it comes to medical cannabis, what they're saying in the condominiums is, well, if you have a prescription for medical cannabis, we can't stop you. You have the human right to smoke, but you have to demonstrate to us that all the moisture and the odor is kept inside your unit. So So again, you're going to have to find a way, again, whether it's vaping or other things, to demonstrate that you're not bothering somebody else. So that's how the condominiums have tried to deal with it. Yeah, and you, you mentioned something about grandfathering, and so when when they do introduce, you know, new rules and regulations, anybody that uh, was existing and let's say, as you said, smoking, you know, cigarettes, whatever, um, if they were doing that prior to the new rules being put in, they are grandfathered. But you know, one of one of the I think the concerns that some of our listeners may have is that. You know, first and foremost, if they're going to be buying a unit in an existing condominium, these rules and regulations um, are are there. Obviously, they want somebody like yourself, a, a legal professional, to be able to read the condominium rules and regulations to realize that it's a non-smoking building. Because, quite frankly, you know, people people no, you normally don't delve too deep into that status certificate and take a look at the condominium rules and bylaws. Is this something that you know you and your staff have been you know a little bit more focused on now? Because this this stuff's front and center. You know, this stuff matters. You know, for the longest time, we used to be, but we still are focused on pets. A lot of people don't realize that a corporation can say, yeah, you could have a dog or a cat, but it can't be more than 20 pounds. And that's legal. And I've had lots of people say they can't buy because their pet is a little larger. One woman said, I have two little cats. I said, the corporation only allows one, but they're so little. I'm keeping them. I said, I can't promise you that they're going to take, they're going to sort of 
force you to remove it. So when we go through, that's why you have to make every condominium deal conditional on a status certificate. And as a, a lawyer, you know, we are very detailed in not just checking out the reserve fund and the amount of money you paid and your sure. parking and locker space, but the rules. Yeah. You know, I'll give you another example. Let's say you're a swimmer and your, your condominium has an outdoor pool and you like to swim at five o'clock in the morning. Let's say there's a rule that says nobody's allowed to swim or play tennis before 8 a.m. Sure. So that, that, that's no good for you. So you need to understand all of those rules as well. Yeah, now back to the pet for a second though. What can a condominium uh, or for that matter, a landlord who's got a tenant who, you know, the condominium says one pet, person shows up and they get two pets. What can they do? How do they enforce the rule? Because that's one of the things nobody really can figure out. How do you enforce the rule? Okay, let me give you an example. Your building says no Airbnb. That's right. a big That's a big issue. hot topic, sure. Now you've got people saying, I'm, I'm doing Airbnb. What's the corporation going to do? So what they do today is the lawyer for the corporation right. will do an investigation. If you're the, the owner of this unit, you get a letter from the board lawyer that says you are violating our rules, yep. you must stop. Right. And because I had to send this letter and investigate, you have to pay me, the lawyer, $1,000 plus HST within two weeks. And if you don't, we're registering a lien against your unit, which costs another $1,000 to remove. And then if you continue to violate, they take you to court to stop and in my experience when a condominium board pays lawyers to take you to court it will cost the owner thousands right. if not tens of thousands in legal fees to fight it so that is how a condominium board is going to try to enforce their rules excellent um that's a perfect stopping point we're going to go to a quick break mark but when we come back i do want to talk to you about of course um, rent control, because there's been some changes there. You and I were talking about it off air. Folks, uh, stay with us. I'm going to be right back with Mark Wiseletter, and you don't want to miss this. So we'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, in the studio with me right now is Mark Wiseletter. He is a real estate professional lawyer. And um, Mark uh, has been a guest uh, here numerous times. And by the way, if you missed uh, the first part of the show, make sure you go to our SoundCloud account at News Talk 1010 and uh, click on it. Uh, you want to catch what Mark and I were just talking about. Had, had to do with cannabis, has to do with you being a landlord or a condominium. Mark, just before the break, though, uh, we just kind of finished off about kind of the rules and regulations condominium can implement in in certain things now speaking of you know condominiums and we talk about rentals all the time a lot of people uh, you know have been buying brand new condominiums and of course um, thanks to the Wynn government uh, you know <laughs> may they rest in pieces I mean sorry uh, but we're, we're, we're taking a look at uh, at what's going on right now and they put in rent control and they took Basically, the handcuffs off all of it, you know, uh, I guess basically a year ago, all of a sudden, everything, everybody got slammed. Rent control right across the board. Of course, this was great news for a lot of tenants. They felt that they, you know, it was unjust for people to be able to turn around, give you a little backstory. Rent control originally was initiated in 1991 by the Ray government. Uh, and so anything pre-built before 91, uh, rent control was on. Everything after that, there was not. When government felt it necessary to make sure that they try to control the situation. And now, Mark, um, 
you know, they put that rule into place. And back in November, there was there was a, a change. The Ford government decided that they wanted to, I think, encourage uh, building of new buildings and people to be landlords. Can you take us down the path? Sure. As a result of the new law, if you have taken ownership of a brand new rental unit or created a brand new unit, never rented, used as residential before November 15th of 2018, and you sign a one-year lease, at the end of the one year, rent control does not apply, which means you'll be able to raise the rent 10, 20, 30%, whatever the market happens to be. Happens to bear. Okay, now let's 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 step back for a second though. Because you and I were talking about this a little bit, and one of the things I'm concerned about, of course, is people understanding that, you know, this was, you know, after November 15th. So if you were to, and, and, and this is where when you buy a brand new condo, folks, this is where you have to understand there's a difference between occupancy and taking title. So when you buy a brand new condo and the builder does not register the property, but you take occupancy, technically you are paying the rent to the builder until they register the condominium before you can register a mortgage on it. Mark, if you've rented your unit out to somebody, because a lot of people do, they get them rented out, does this negate uh, rent control? What happens? So in other words, let's say you took occupancy of a new unit in the summer of 2018, and, and like most people, you rent it out to a tenant at that time. Right. Is that you, but you take title ownership in 2019. Today. Would sure. that uh, sort of allow you to claim that this is a brand new unit? In my opinion, the answer would be no. That unit was rented out to a tenant before November 15th last year, and that unit would be covered by rent control, meaning this year to a 1.8% increase next year, whatever the government decides. Wow. So let's let's talk about that window then, because when the wind government implemented this, she did it immediately. There was, there was no, yeah, yeah, let's give some people. So rent control will now exist all the way up until November 15th, if a property had been rented previously. So there's or rent control. Or used as residential right. by the owner. Used as residential, exactly. So she pretty much euchred everybody for that gap from built in 1900 till November 15th, 2018. You're covered, you're under rent control, under that's rent correct. Control. Okay, so um, there's a lot of people that are probably really ticked off at that, obviously. Um, we watched all sorts of uh, builders cancel purpose-built rentals. Remember, you know, there was a huge thing. I know we had uh, a couple of people from some of the, the development companies and build and all sorts of, they just said, you know, forget this. Why would we build? Because now we got slammed with rent control. So now let's let's talk about, you know, again, uh, going back to it. So if somebody closes today, brand new condominium closes, meaning taking title, if they take title. Now, they haven't been occupying it. They actually were given, you know, the builder registered correctly. No rent control today. So anything from November 15th to today and from now on, there's no rent control on these units, correct? That's correct. And so I also want to say to tenants, that if you're a tenant, you've also got to try to protect yourself with something like this. So if you're a tenant in a brand new unit, you've got to say, uh-oh, they can raise my rent 10 or 20%. There's nothing stopping you if you can negotiate a clause, which I write in my landlord and tenant guide. Uh, but 
there's nothing wrong stopping you from negotiating to say that under this lease, the landlord cannot raise the rent more, more than three percent in any year, and that will be legitimate, and will sort of protect you from this extraordinary increase, which could happen. But your landlord has to agree to that. That will be some of the negotiations, and this is why you know people should not do things by themselves. They should get advice usually with a realtor before they sign these uh, even tenancy agreements because you don't know how to protect yourself. Sure. Now I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put you on the spot, but you know most people most people know I am not a huge fan of the LTB. I believe truly that there is some underlying tone that says you know the government can't afford to put people out uh, of of a property, so they want everybody to stay in as long as possible and put the stress on the landlords. Now that's just my personal take. You don't have to nod or agree with me. Um, I I just as a landlord of over a thousand units, I can tell you that working with the LTB as a landlord for non-payment of rent is absolutely almost impossible. It is making it harder and harder for everybody every day. Now, the one thing, of course, that comes into play is the fact that when people want to sell their tentative unit, okay, and we now have to look at what notices are required. I know they are now leaning on on landlords harder because a lot of landlords were trying to sell you know, people would buy and improve them, then re-rent them. Mark, this has opened up a huge can of worms. What advice can you give a landlord? Okay, because, um, you know, the ten tenants right now, it it's definitely a lot in their favor. In my opinion, if you're a landlord and you're selling and there is a tenant and you want to maximize your value, don't fool around with any of these government notices to try to evict the tenant because you're going to fail and tenants are getting smarter. My advice, and it's not easy, is to find the tenant another place to live, pay them an incentive, including moving costs, and arrange for that before you put your property up for sale. Because number one, the only notice you could give to legally evict would be if the buyer is moving into that unit. Owner, owner so occupied, yeah. You're limiting your your choices on a buyer. So all those landlords who say, oh, I'm putting my son in there. And they give the 60-day notice and then do what you said. They try to fix it up and rent it out to somebody else. They're risking a $25,000 fine plus all the tenant costs in moving and relocating. And in addition, these tenants are not just walking away. They're challenging landlords saying, prove to me your son is moving in. And then they've got to convince somebody at the landlord and tenant board that it's good faith. And as you just said, that's not always easy to prove. Yeah, no. And and, and this is the thing. So, you know, and the, one of the reasons why I want to bring this up is because, of course, when somebody is, owns an investment property, they have to think about their exit strategy. And, you know, of course, best use when somebody sells is normally owner occupied based on prices today. You know, if a, if a tenant's been there for a long time, normally the rent's a little bit low. Uh, so values have gone up. So, we, you know, we've got to look at cash flow and everything else. So if we're looking at it, the best use for a lot of these investment properties, of course, is for somebody to go owner occupied. But when you have the issue of the tenancy now, um, just for our listeners sake, does a landlord have to offer the unit or property to the tenant first? Is there anything to do with the LTB that says you must offer it to the tenant first? No, that's not a, uh, a requirement. requirement. That's okay, not good. a requirement at all. However, in my experience, 
if you have an idea how much your property is worth, yep. let's say you've gotten some appraisals, let's say it's worth 400000 Sure. And my advice is always go to the tenant first and say, you know what? You've been a good tenant. I've got an appraisal. The place is worth four hundred. My choice would be to sell it to you. For, to sell it to you. You're, yep. You've looked after it for me. Do you think you can get the financing? Then if the tenant says, I can't get the financing, well, then when you say, okay, I've got to put it on the market, you know, can you give me an idea how long you might need to move? Then the tenant might be more agreeable to working with you because you're demonstrating that at least you're trying, but there is no legal requirement unless it was actually written in the lease. And in my experience, it's rarely written in the lease that you give the tenant first right of refusal. Very rare. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, and again, I, I think it's a good thing to put in a lease, you know, because it gives the tenant the option. And sometimes, you know, the best buyer is the existing tenant in, they know the house, they know the property, whatever it is, they know it already. And, you know, I'm not telling uh, people to cut agents out of the equation, but of course it gives them a little bit more leeway. You know, you don't need to necessarily, of course you need your lawyers. Lawyers are the, the important part of the transaction, but you know, the big thing is, is that maybe you can get a little better deal. Uh, Mark, listen, you know what? It's, it's amazing how quickly yours and my time goes by when I have you on. It's always a pleasure. Um, best way, you know, and of course, folks, just so you know, one of the reasons why I like having Mark on, I, I, I need to, you know, make sure you understand what Mark has the ability of doing. He can actually come to your home to handle your real estate transaction. And you know what? With the weather that we've had recently, you know, Mark, I would imagine everybody has a big smile and maybe a cup of coffee for you. So how do how do our people get, get in touch with you? Thank you. Thank you. And that's our what we consider our biggest advantage. Even though we have 35 offices and closed deals all around Ontario, 95% of our clients say, please come to our home to sign the closing papers because they don't want to miss work. They don't want to deal with this terrible weather. And they'd rather just sign in the comfort of their own home. And so to reach me, you can call toll-free 1-888-876-5529 or by email mark, M-A-R-K, at realestatelawyers, with an S, dot C-A. Excellent. Listen, Mark, real pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on today. My pleasure. Thank you. So that's a wrap this week, folks. And uh, boy, does an hour ever fly by when we're talking about real estate. Always does. Um, I want to thank uh, my producers, Ian and Andre. Of course, they keep it simple. I want to thank my guests, Amy Ferris and Mark Wiseletter. Always great to have those folks come and join us. And most importantly, I want to thank you for tuning in. Uh, remember, try to stay warm. Uh, I'm back next week, Saturday at 3 p.m. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.